1989, Tim Burton brought Batman to the big screen and rejuvenated the superhero movie genre. In 1995, Joel Schumacher gave Batman nipples. On today's moving panels, we discuss Batman Forever. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows inspired by, based on, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me on today's episode is Mr. Blake Fowler. Laramie, what's up, man? Um, excited to be here to talk about all things Joe Schumacher, uh, nipples, and uh, <laughs> Batman Forever. Yeah, so Blake is one of my Batman friends. I have uh, a couple of friends who are big Batman fans. Um, I kind of feel alone because I seem to be the only Superman fan of people that I know. Uh, it's Laramie, there's nothing wrong with it, but I, I think people probably just like a little vulnerability with their superheroes, a little human side to them, and, and a space alien doesn't really do it for a lot of people. Well, hey, look, Superman is all about humanity, and the vulnerable side is kryptonite. There, He has kryptonite. Um, uh, and how how available is that that space rock here on Earth to make him vulnerable, Laramie? Look, there is a plethora of kryptonite, uh, different colors. Uh, it is all over the place. A plus for vocabulary, but uh, we're we're gonna stick with Batman as being the A number one superhero here. Well, that is that is a debate for another episode. Uh, a, probably a really <sighs> long episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no one needs to worry. This is not going to be an argument or a debate. We'll just uh, cool things down now by me just saying the word Martha. Why, why did you say that name, Laramie? Why, but you know, you're know, you right. You know what? All things are good now. You're good. All right. So we are here to talk about Batman Forever. Uh, the movie was released on June 16th, 1995, so a little over 25 years ago as of this recording. I'm hoping I did that math right. Uh, as a mathematician and a math teacher, I would hope so. And as someone who probably needs to edit that out just in case I'm wrong, probably shouldn't have said that. No, the world needs to know. <laughs> so this is the third in what I guess you would call a franchise. Um, it's not... Crystal clear after Batman Returns going into Batman Forever whether this is supposed to be a sequel. Other than the same Alfred, is there any real connection there? Yeah, that's the thing. It, there's really not a lot of similarity. Um, so Tim Burton did the first two movies, then the reins passed on to Joel Schumacher here. Uh, the late Joel Schumacher, he just passed away earlier as of this recording. But this movie, I remember... When this movie came out, the marketing campaign just being huge. Massive, right? I mean, if everywhere you looked, there was Batman Forever marketing. Yeah, the question mark logo, the Riddler's question mark with the bat symbol inside of it uh, was just such a big thing. I myself even had a hat uh, that had that logo on it. I mean, it was just a huge logo. And see, I wasn't quite to the age of being worried about, I guess, the apparel side of it. I, at eight years old in 95, my thing was every day after school, we had to go by McDonald's to check and see if they had the new toy in the Happy Meal for that week. And along with that, they had the uh, the glass mugs for all the characters oh, in the yeah. film. Um, mm -hmm. And still to this day, they're sitting in my cabinet right now. But it was just everywhere you turned was almost this Batman mania, Batman fever. Uh, real quick, just kind of some background. The plot of this movie seems like it's from the comics. Uh, it's similar to a story that happened in Detective Comics number 633 back in 1991, so just a 
few years prior. The difference is the villain in that uh, series or that issue was the Synaptic Kid, which is a villain I am not familiar with. Little known short run in the comics, um, but they turn him into the the Riddler, essentially, here. Yeah, so in this movie, it is the Riddler. The premise, though, is still the same as it was for the Synaptic Kid in the comic. He's trying to get inside of Batman's mind to discover his identity. Um, I don't know how the Synaptic Kid did it in the comic. The Riddler is doing it with apparently a blender. (laughs) A legitimate blender, right? Like the handle still. Yeah, it really looks like a, just a <laughs> sci-fi blender. And the end, just like with the comics, uh, it causes the villain, the Riddler in the movie, Synaptic Kid in the comic, to go insane and think he is Batman. Yeah, even even if you look back in the comic, you, you get the the image, the panel, Synaptic Kid with like the really warped, distorted brain, and at the the end of the movie here, you get the Riddler looking the same. So that was pretty cool callback to the comics. Yeah, so so again, there is a connection to the comics, to the story. Let's take a look at some of the characters and talk about some of them. Of course, our big guy, Batman, uh, for those not familiar, he introduced he was introduced in the comics in Detective Comics number 27 all the way back in 1939, created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. Um, Bill Finger has Who's just... actually getting his kudos now. Yes. Bill Finger is not credited in this movie as being a creator of Batman. That didn't happen until years later, but we are going to give him the rifle credit he deserves. Batman was created just a year after Superman. They're kind of the the two that started it all when it comes to the superhero genre. Val Kilmer plays him in this movie. He is the fifth actor to don the cape and cowl. Uh, Lewis Wilson, Robert Lowry, Adam West, and Michael Keaton were the actors before him. But we're just going to talk about Val because this is his movie. Yes, I uh, agree. My thought with Val's Batman was that he was very robotic. His voice doesn't change much. He sounds the same as Bruce Wayne as he does as Batman. And, and even just as Batman, he sounds the same angry, calm, upset, happy. Like The voice doesn't – he's got no intonation in that voice between characters, but then even within Bruce Wayne or Batman, it doesn't ever change. Yeah, he's a very emotionless, uh, emotionless, excuse me, uh, Batman. Um, there's, you really, and even Bruce Wayne, like, you, there's nothing to him. He's very stoic. He'd be great at the poker table. Yeah. Yeah, as far as being Batman or Bruce Wayne, eh, you're not giving me much. So, one thing I will no- uh, note about his Bruce Wayne is... Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first Bruce Wayne I've ever seen wear glasses. So I hadn't watched the movie in a while, and I sat down, and he walked. That first thing where he walks into Wayne Tech, and he's got the glasses on. All I could think of is like, is Clark handing out how to hide your superhero identity advice? You know, did they sit down at a booth in a coffee shop, and Batman's like, you know, I can't, it's having a hard time disguising myself, and Clark goes, you know what? Glasses. Easy. But even so, he's not consistent with them. Um, He has them on. He takes them off in front of people. He sometimes doesn't even have them at all. So I wasn't really clear. The only thing I could think of is the glasses were to try to help him look smarter. As the smartest man in Gotham, does he need them, though? Yeah, again, I don't know. I, I... I, well, you say he's the smartest. I will also say that he's uh, the most egotistical in this movie. Ooh, super, right? Extremely. Uh, nothing but ego. He's an a male chauvinist through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, way, he, the way he talks to Meridian. Yes. He talks, so, he talks down to Chase Meridian, Nicole Kidman's character, 
so bad. It is so bad. It is cringe-worthy in 2020 where we are now to hear the way he talks to her. Couldn't get away with it now, right? No, most definitely not. The other thing, and now this goes away from Val Kilmer's performance and just goes into the storyline, is his Batman is horrible at keeping his secret identity. (laughs) Um, I'm not trusting him with any of my secrets, that's for sure, as he is super quick to just divulge that he's Batman. In the circus scene, for example, Mm -hmm. everybody's standing up. Yeah, Two Face getting in the story a little bit is is there, and he just shouts. He's Harvey. I'm I'm Batman. I'm... Chase Meridian standing right there doesn't even bat an eyelash, but he's just shouting it to everybody. Well, not only that, he then jumps down onto the floor and starts fighting off the henchmen with all this martial arts, and it's like no one seems to be <laughs> questioning the fact that here is Playboy millionaire Bruce Wayne, uh, ninja fighting. <laughs> Ninja fighting. Yeah, nobody even after the fact doesn't get brought up. Like Detective Commissioner Gordon, I guess, brings him uh, Dick Grayson later, and he doesn't even ask him, hey, Bruce, where'd you learn to to fight? Like, maybe you want to do some training with the uh, Gotham City Police Department? No, you would think that would be in the news the next day or something, you know. Yeah, billionaire playboy saves citizens, but it's not. No, no mention. However, I will point out uh, that this version of Batman has no problem with killing people. He murders everyone. He's throwing henchmen off the top rope, so to speak, of the circus tent and uh, w- without concern or caution. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, like you've seen Spider-Man do where he throws them off, but then he shoots the web, so they're hanging. I mean, he's got all of those gadgets. He can, you know, launch a... a wire or something that catches them up and they're just hanging. Uh, he, he had no problem with killing. And then at the very end with Two-Face, um, he's he's all good with just, I'm just going to murder this dude. After he tells Dick Grayson, you don't need to murder him. <laughs> no, but then he even goes back and says, hey, you do you, you know. <laughs> unless, um, unless I do me first. Yeah. So, uh, and let's get into Robin. This, of course, was the... Uh, the introduction to Robin to these movie movies. Uh, Robin in the comics was introduced in Detective Comics number 38 in 1940, also by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Chris O'Donnell is the fourth actor to play a live-action version of Robin. The previous were Douglas Croft, Johnny Duncan, and most famously, Burt Ward. I will say this, though. Chris O'Donnell, to me, to be the boy wonder was way too old. Uh, he's the grown man wonder, Laramie. <laughs> yeah. He's I, got five o'clock stat. No, he, I mean, yes, he, he definitely needed a shave. I, and I I didn't understand why Bruce had to take him in. Uh, they're talking about social services, but the kid's driving, pulling up on a motorcycle. Yeah. So he can drive. Um, there's even a reference that Bruce makes about how he should be in college. So we know he's... 18, probably, at the, the youngest, I would say. So I'm not exactly sure uh, why what the thought was of bringing him in. I would have maybe understood a little bit more if they had went back maybe a few years and introduced him and he was younger and now he's this age. You know, I get like, like that. The, the flying Graysons have come to Gotham before and they met Bruce and now that he knows Bruce, he can go with him. Yeah, you know, something. I mean, I, I, it was already a two-hour movie. You, you don't want to add too much more. 
Yeah, there was just something about him just feeling too old. And he, I don't know, he just didn't sit right with me as Robin. I, I don't right. I didn't really like Chris O'Donnell as Robin. Uh, everything he did just felt unnatural. It felt like it was out of place for the movie, <laughs> which brings me to the ninja laundry. <laughs> right. So they're like trying to force Chris O'Donnell as Robin onto us. And somewhere, some writer or producer thought, what's the best way we can show that this Robin can handle himself with the villains? And someone said, you know what? Ninja laundry. Let's have him just demoralize a pair of wet socks for thirty seconds, yeah. and that'll that'll show how tough he is. Yeah, I I mean, I honestly, when that scene is over and they show Alfred's just a close up of Alfred's face, I went, "Yep, that's that's the face that everybody watching this is having." It's just like, what I, what was that? I expected Alfred to go for for Office fans to go full Jim Halpert and just stare into the 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 camera. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just so cringeworthy. Um, <laughs> and I get, again, you, you've got to rush it and show he's already got skills because um, you can't have Batman really training. You know, you don't have time to do all of that. I get that. Uh, mm -hmm. They they even show his, his gymnastic ability when he uh, finds his way inside of the Batcave, although, like his family, he couldn't stick the landing. Oh, oh, that's uh, it's. Okay, I, I'm going to let you have that one. <laughs> it's my show. You have to. Okay, my bad. Oh, that's tough. <clears throat> that's, that's tough. All right. So, uh, so uh, you know, I want to get your take, though. We, we're talking about this Robin. I, from a comic book side, I went, you know what? Even though his, he's Dick Grayson by name, um, and there is even the reference to he wants to call himself Nightwing, I think he was a mashup. Mm -hmm. I think he's, you know, he's Dick Grayson by character. I think he's Jason Todd by attitude. He even steals the Batmobile like Jason Todd did. And right. I honestly thought the costume was very reminiscent of Tim Drake. He he certainly has those aspects of all the different Robins. And whether that's intentional or unintentional, I don't know. I haven't ever seen anything Schumacher or anybody from the film say that. But you're right. The costume, certainly Tim Drake, 100%. The attitude and still in the Batmobile, Jason does. So he, you know, he's a little bit of Tim, he's a little bit of Jason, but in the end, he's he's a lot of bit of Dick, man. Like that's that's the character he's supposed to be. And of course, he does get to utter the line "Holy rusted metal," which is probably the best thing he does in the entire movie. That's um, that's the only reason I want him in the movie is for that line and then the look on Val Kilmer's face. They played that part perfectly. Yes, no, I do like that, that it was very meta. Um, you know, they did make it aware that that was a ridiculous thing to say, but yes. it being just a callback to the classic '60s Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward, it, it was great. I loved that. Yeah, it was it was a, a good callback. All right, so moving on, let's get to our villains. So first off, we have Two Face, played by. Tommy Lee Jones. Um, Two-Face premiered in the comics in 1942 in Detective Comics number 66, also created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones might have been the first Two-Face. He is not, however, the first Harvey Dent, as Harvey Dent was previously played by Billy D. Williams in just two movies ago, which is, again, where I'm going, is this a sequel? I don't, again, I'm not going to say this is a sequel right here now, but but we will put some respect on Billy D. Williams' name as, as Harvey Dent. 
Yes. So, uh, Billy D. Williams played Harvey Dent in the 89 Batman. I'm sure he thought he would play Toothface. I, I don't know he what happened wrong. there. Yeah. It never happened. So, Tommy Lee Jones is officially the first Two-Face. My thought was, especially for it being an actor at Tommy Lee Jones' caliber, was I think he played the role a little too crazy. And whether that's really by choice, or I'm sure somebody had some input about how he plays it, but when we look at it, and we'll get to Jim Carrey in a minute, but Tommy Lee Jones seems like Jim Carrey playing Two-Face. Yeah. He's just so over the top. It is extremely over the top. I mean, my personal opinion is if you got Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Academy Award nominee, I'm I'm thinking maybe even winner, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, he should have been like a mastermind. This should have been... Sinister, Two-Face. Sinister from Tommy Lee Jones. This should have been a very calculated and, um, you know, yeah, like you're saying, sinister almost... Two Face, and let Riddler be the crazy one, and then you got the mm-hmm. the juxtaposition of the two of them. Um, Instead, I just got two crazy guys running around. Yeah, and so much of this movie is centered around kind of the Two Face idea. You've got the Batman and Bruce split personality and the dilemma. You've got the choice that Batman has to make at the end between Doctor uh, Meridian and Robin and who to save. It just there's so much about this that feels like it should be a Two Face scheme, not a Riddler scheme. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of duality of man going on here, but they they don't I think lean into it enough. They they lean into the the fun. Riddler side when it it should have been Two-Face. It would have made the movie a completely different movie and I think a better movie. Yeah, they they clearly were going in this movie with an homage, as we mentioned with Robin saying Holy Rusted Metal, to the 60s uh, Batman series. You know, making it a little bit more colorful, uh, having Mm -hmm. the the canted angles, uh, the tilted camera shots, um, and even... The fact that Two Face had henchmen that were themed. However, <laughs> the henchmen to me looked like they should be just trying out for the role of Deathstroke. Hundred percent, because that's what their their hoods looked like. They half black, half orange, very similar to the Deathstroke. And of course, you know they're they've got guns. They're uh, suited up, and I don't. Know, it just didn't work for me. Um, it- I don't think it works in this movie, but like you're saying, as a callback to the 60s Batman, to Adam West, the TV show, it, it works in that aspect if that's what they're trying to do. But it's it's so campy for 1995, it feels like. Yeah. And they did they played off that campiness. You know, Two-Face, it's two of everything. He's got a, you know, he's got two female uh, companions uh, his office is split into two halves where he just walks right down the middle, um, which you kind of wonder, does he ever actually go to one side? Uh, he stays down the middle. and They're not very subtle about the whole duality thing. No, no. no right? he, yeah, he smokes two cigarettes uh, from both sides of his mouth. He drinks two drinks from each side of his mouth, which I really don't know how he accomplished that. Um, I can barely get one. Yeah. So I just I didn't get it. And then the one of the great things about Two-Face in the comics 
is that Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne were friends. And really good friends. Yes. They're really close, really tight friends. Um, they're out to save Gotham together. Yes. Yeah. So uh, district attorney Harvey Dent wants to save it from the legal side. And of course, Batman, Bruce Wayne uh, is doing it from the vigilante end and bringing the criminals to justice. Um, but this movie never sets that up. And yet, at the end of the movie, Tommy Lee Jones, or Two-Face, I should say, Two-Face, says to Bruce, Ah, yes, you've always been a good friend, Bruce. And I'm like, where? Where, where was that how? established? How, how was he a good friend? Because unless you are familiar with the comic and the fact that they were friends in the comic, that is completely out of left field at the end. It doesn't make any sense for him to say that. No, I, Laramie, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the scene where clearly Batman is sitting in full regalia in the courtroom and he leaps over everyone to save Harvey Dent from, from the acid. Yeah, so that's that's where we get our only connection uh, was that Harvey Dent was um, trying a case where he's putting a mobster down and the the mobster actually... Uh, it's, uh, my mind has, uh, Sal Maroney, that's it. Sal Maroney, yeah, Maroney. Yeah. um, throws acid into Harvey's face. Harvey then, <laughs> I love in this version, he covers his face half with a, a manila folder. So it gets that perfect line and Batman in, yeah. in full costume, who was apparently <laughs> just chilling in the courtroom tries to leap over and save him in time and it doesn't happen. Did he did he drop to the courtroom in the Batmobile is my question? He's yeah. in his full suit. No, he yeah, it's full suit, not exactly sure what you know, <laughs> I don't like know ball, if ballet the Batmobile. What I would have loved to have seen was the the scene where um he gets his summons. <laughs> like how do you how do you mail Batman a summons? <laughs> you Put the bat signal in the sky with like some lettering inside the bat, like a courtroom, September twenty fifth. Or you just put the bat the bat signal up, and when he shows up, um, you got the guy going, "You Batman?" He goes, "Yeah," and he goes, "You've been served." Um, <laughs> Are you Batman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As well, if there's a question, I'm just making sure. Well, they they have to. I think they do have to validate the identity. Um, so, I'm gonna am t- gonna tell them I'm not Batman if I ever get court summons. Then there you go. Um, <laughs> so, but our our main villain in this movie is uh, the Riddler, played by Jim Carrey in all his Jim Carrey goodness. The Riddler was introduced in the comics in 1948 in Detective Comics 140, and the only thing I could find was that he was created by Bill Finger, um, Bob Kane. As I far as I know. As far as I know, he's the only one credited with the Riddler. You're right. Yeah, so Bob Kane did not have anything to do with the Riddler. It was all Bill Finger. Uh, Jim Carrey is the third person to play a live-action Riddler. Previously from the 60s Batman, you had uh, Frank Gorshin and John Astin. Uh, but this is all Jim Carrey. There is there is no Frank Gorshin or John Astin in this performance. It's like somebody at Warner Brothers just watched the mask and were like, you know, let's just have Jim Carrey play his character in the mask as the Riddler. Yeah. So Jim Carrey, this was right at the height of his stardom with Ace Ventura and the mask and Dumb and Dumber. And he is just all Jim Carrey. But the Riddler 
aspect of it, I was so, again, so confused because he becomes the Riddler, yet there seems to be the Riddler already in existence. He has a bobblehead on his desk at Wayne Tech that looks exactly like the Riddler. You know, with all the callbacks to the 60s show, I almost would have bought in more if Jim Carrey was like a second Riddler, as if there already had been a Riddler in this universe and he's picking the mantle back up again. Yeah, or, I mean, just explain why, again, he also has the fortune teller machine. You know, explain it. Was there a television character that he watched that, because mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, his device actually has to do with television. So maybe show where there was a, yeah, show where there was like a kid's show or something that starred this guy who was dressed like the Riddler. It just, it, it was just, again, another thing that I'm going, you're just expecting us to just accept this. Lazy writing. Yeah. Well, speaking of lazy writing, the riddles. Here we go. The riddles are, for someone who's supposed to be so intelligent as Edward Nigma, um, the Riddler portrays himself to be, he comes up with the easiest riddles. I was sitting there watching it thinking, you know what? I could be Batman if this is all it takes. It's, I really could. Well, aside, aside from the billions of dollars that I don't have, but <laughs> yeah. the intelligence part, I was like, I'm just as smart as, as Bruce Wayne is. Until the end, though, because at the end, when they realize that there's a connection to all of the riddles, I'm sitting there going, wait, how? How do you pull that connection out of all those riddles? Oh, yeah. So this has a number and the number represents this. And no, no, that number has to represent this. And. I just, my head was spinning at that point. I'd have found it more believable if they'd have just wound up some bingo balls and pulled out Enigma from that and said, okay, this is who it is. Yeah. But again, going back to, uh, a, you know, a problem with your world's greatest detective, for that moment, he needed <laughs> he needed Alfred. Like, Alfred right. is the one that helps him do that. He wasn't able to do that on his own. Um which uh, Alfred probably sits around and does crossword puzzles in Sudoku all day, though. So he's the guy for puzzles. <laughs> and also, going back to a character we haven't discussed in full detail yet, Bruce even has to go to Dr. Chase Meridian, Nicole Kidman's character. Oh, God. <laughs> even though yes, he, he has demeaned her every moment he has been in contact with her in this movie. Talks down to her from the moment he meets her, man. Like yes. the first time he meets her. Yeah, calls, he just like yeah. yeah, calls her naive. And she at, thanks him for it. Yeah, basically. She takes it as a compliment. Um <laughs> and again, another character that I'm just going, I don't get it. She's supposed to be this psychiatrist, the psychologist, whatever she is. She's supposed to be this highly intelligent, self made woman. And then we're just going to put her in the sexiest clothes that we can find. The absolute sexiest, because if you'll recall, on the rooftop of the Gotham City Police Department, uh, remind me again, what does she show up in again to me, Batman? Oh, she's in a teddy. She's in a a, ah, a negligee, um, you know, silky, satiny, everything. And, you know, I couldn't help but think, okay, she... It, she doesn't appear to have had a trench coat or anything. She was just right there. So in order to get to the roof, she had to walk into Gotham PD wearing that. I, I can just see Harvey Bullock overflowing his cup of coffee as he watches her walk by. Like, that would have been a funny scene. They should have included that in there. Yeah. 
But um, real quick, I, yep. let me get to Har- Harvey Bullock really quick. So Harvey Bullock is not in this movie, although I thought he was. And then I realized it was their version of Commissioner Gordon. A rough rendition of Commissioner Gordon, for sure. I mean, he was just seemed like the, you know, the overweight, bumbling buffoon cop and definitely not the Commissioner Gordon that we know and love from the comics. Right. Yeah. So he he was no good. And again, it goes back to the writing, which pulls me back to Dr. Chase Meridian. And if I'm Nicole Kidman, I'm like, no, come on, guys, you got to There's got to be something better than this for this character. Yeah, because even when they try to make her intelligent. Um, when Bruce is coming to her for help, they still write Bruce as to, yeah, I already knew that. I just wanted to see if you could figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so what he's, but again, that's part of the egotistical side you're talking about. He's just downgrading her intelligence, essentially. I I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Uh, Even so much as him looking at the ink blot. Okay. So he looks at the ink blot, which is a thousand percent a a bat. Yeah. It's a bat. And she's like, people see what they want to see. No, nah, no, girl. We all it's see a bat. bat. Yeah, we <laughs> all see a bat. Batman then. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. She, that... she can't figure out he's Batman even after that. Oh, no. The only way, even even through the story where he tells her about getting caught in the cave and seeing the giant. But now, this is Bruce Wayne. When Bruce Wayne is telling her this story about the giant bat and being attacked by bats, and he sees the bat, and everything's bat, 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 she can't figure out he's Batman until they kiss, and she realizes <laughs> Bruce and Batman are the same thing, same person, because they kiss the same way. Well, to be fair, that is the only way I've ever figured out anyone's secret identity, so I kind of I kind of get her on that point. So there's there's some characters there. Um, there's a lot of great cameos in this. We won't get into all of those, but it is it is packed full of people. Uh, there's even a couple, and I'll leave this as for you you as the listener to look up. Uh, there's a couple of people that you might want to look up because if you blink, you'll miss them. And I just, couldn't believe it. Yeah. So we'll leave that as a little tease. There's some fun characters. They're a little confusing, especially with the the change in direction of these Batman movies, but overall, enjoyable. Yeah, agree. All right, so moving on, let's talk about some of the things in this movie uh, that were very comic book-ish and not comic book-ish and and all that. And we got to start, it's a Batman movie, we got to start with some Bat tech. Uh, First off, I mean, let's just go ahead and talk about the greatest piece of all, and that's the Batmobile. My favorite Batmobile ever. Uh, So you like this one better than the previous one? Uh, Hands down. I think because as an eight-year-old, again, I I like the the flashiness, the -the over-the-top, the cartoonish aspect of it. And so that Batmobile, man, yeah. Yeah, kind of seeing like the, I guess it's some sort of like electrical current yeah, engine. The, the guts yeah. of, of it. It's like, it's like, it was like him riding inside of a skeleton of the Batmobile, yeah. which Halloween always has been and will be my favorite holiday. So that I, I made that connection and it was just, just the coolest thing. Yeah. I got to say, I think I'm a little bit more partial to the, the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton uh, Batmobile, just the, the matted black, uh, but long, that gothic type look. Yeah, I, and I don't think you'll find any argument uh, as far as that goes, and maybe maybe a topic for another time too. Yeah, but this is a good Batman uh, Batmobile. Um, the I would say the the 
biggest problem with this Batmobile is we don't really get to see it do anything. It climbs up a wall, Laramie, okay? Well, it does, but that's about it. Um, you know, with the the Burton Batmobile, we got to see it, you know, like, create a protective shell so that nobody could get to it. Um, this one seems to have no protection whatsoever because it, it gets destroyed very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, fair, fair enough. Yeah. So uh, we let's go from the good to the bad. Uh, the 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 suit is it um, cold in here? Yeah, as as previously mentioned, this is the first time that Batman got nipples. Everybody gives Clooney flack for it, but I, I've forgotten completely, and I'm watching it, and here it is. It pops up, bam! Bat nipples. No, and not only bat nipples, we also get bat butt. Uh, there's a <laughs> there is a shot later in the movie when Batman's getting ready. He dons a new suit. It's a silver suit for some reason. Yes, yeah, like the, the sonar suit. Yeah. Yeah, and we just get a maybe two, three seconds too long. Of course, a half a second too long is too long. Um, <laughs> of just Batman's butt. And I'm like, it's why? A, it's, just, it's a super gratuitous shot, and I didn't even know it was in there. So I'm watching this thing at my girlfriend's house, and it, that part comes on. I stop, rewind it, because I'm like, did that really happen? Pause it to make my notes. And my girlfriend, of course, walks by at that moment, because someone walks by at the moment you don't want them walking by. On, and she stops, and without missing a beat, just looks at me and goes, well, holy bat butt, Batman. And then walks off. There you go. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, it was awful. Yeah. So, so again, you heard it here. Blake rewound it so he could watch it again. So Blake Guilty is, charged. is all about the bat butt. Um, Look, I, I need my own bat suit, Laramie, so I can just do gratuitous bat butt yeah, images so, right there for everyone. So um, there, there was one aspect, and I need to ask you about this as you being a little bit more of a Batman fanatic than I am. Uh, there's the explosion in which he throws the cape over, and I'm totally mm-hmm. acceptable of the cape and the suit being fireproof, fire retardant, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But they do an effect to make it look like after he throws it over, it hardens up like a shell. Yeah. Um, look, as far as I know, there's no like callback to that in any of the comics that I, I've read. And again, I haven't read all of them, but that happens in a movie and I'm thinking like, is he supposed to be a Ninja Turtle all of a sudden? Like, do, is that what we're going for? It, uh, it didn't make, it, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Sorry. You're right. Uh, <laughs> it didn't make any sense as far as contact. It should, if it had just been fireproof, I'd have bought that, but you're right. They have that little effect to make it look like it's hardening around him. Like a shield. Yeah, I, I didn't get the reason for that effect. I mean, just covering himself up, I would have been totally fine with him then walking out. Because, again, mm-hmm. he, he's covered head to toe in this suit. I'm fine with accepting that it's fireproof. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, not much I, sense. Yeah. I did like that Bruce Wayne, is back in 1995, is sporting an Apple Watch. Um, Ahead of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, clearly it's you know just supposed to be some advanced tech, uh, very similar to Dick Tracy having the walkie-talkie watch. Uh, but he has a watch with a full video screen that he chats with uh, Alfred while standing in Dr. Chase's <laughs> office. Which she, she doesn't even notice. Dude. She, yeah. Well, even if she does notice, she doesn't question it. She's like, oh, yeah. Hey, look, he's got a little TV on his wrist. <laughs> but 
don't let's not forget though she is a uh, scholarly woman okay? no, yeah, she's a doctor yes who can't who doesn't even bring up that he's got like you said a, a whole television on his yes. watch uh with great picture I will say that. Super quality. They didn't even bother to add in a little like staticky, shaky effect. Um, you know, like, like Bruce Bruce Wayne has 4K television on his watch in 1995. Yeah, there you go. Again, with all this tech, you would think that the place that it you know it all originates from, the Batcave, would be the most high tech of all of it, and it is not. Not even close to it. Uh, super easy to get into. Very. I mean, we see Robin uh, slip his way into it because Alfred's not paying attention. Uh, And then we see the Riddler uh, access it with almost no problem whatsoever. And everybody everybody gets into it. And here's the thing. The intruder alert, intruder alert, intruder alert goes off. And yet... The Batmobile still rises up out of the the cave. Yeah, you would think there, there's an intruder in there. You would think there'd be some sort of lockdown uh, that it would at least trap the person inside. No, uh, just take the Batmobile out. Yeah, it, it, Bruce even accesses it from a trap door in his office at Wayne Tech. A trap door, which I will point out, you can t- see is there even before it opens. Even Dr. Chase Meridian would be able to recognize that it's got door. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and which leads me into just trapdoors in general. There are trapdoors all throughout this movie. There are trapdoors everywhere. God, um, Gotham City is apparently just one big trapdoor. Yeah. So, um, but with all of this tech, with all of the gadgets and everything... Uh, we've already said the Batcave is not the greatest, and so that kind of makes this make a little bit more sense. That um, why doesn't Bruce Wayne have security cameras? <laughs> oh God, dude! He the whole movie. Okay, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, so uh, the whole the whole thing, the whole plot of the Riddler could be stopped right there at the gate when he pulls up to Wayne Manor and reaches inside the gate and applies an envelope that has what has got to be the world's best double-sided tape. Oh, most definitely. With- it, yeah, that's got to be a heavy package because it's a it's a 3D pop-up book. Right, of metal, apparently. And he, he sticks it and it doesn't move. Okay, that's a whole other yeah. thing. But Bruce Wayne has a... A 4K television, we've said, in his watch, but the dude can't put up CCTV at yeah. his gate to, to watch for intruders because then the Riddler joke or the Riddler and uh, Two Face and his henchmen come back to the gate again. Yeah, they're they're right there when the trick or treaters are. Uh, which that's the other thing, I didn't even realize this until just now. How did the trick or treaters get to the door? The gate was closed when Two Face and, and Riddler came up. Yeah, because why... Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Why wouldn't Two-Face and Riddler have just come in through the gate? Uh, look, with the security at Wayne Manor, they probably just slipped through a, a break in the wall that they just never decided to fix. But but again, it gets into the silliness, the craziness uh, of this movie, the very comic book feel. But, you know, we've bashed it a little bit. I do want to give it a little bit of, of props. I do think that in terms of a living comic book... This movie is about as perfect as you can get. It's it's colorful, it's vibrant, and the shots are done in a way that if you were to hit pause, 
you could just sketch that screen into a panel in a comic book and you'd have yourself a comic book. And I hadn't even realized that until you, you talked about it. And I went back and looked at it a little more closely and you're right, man. Like the, the, the almost like, the, I guess the upshot angles or the angles where a character's off to a third of the, the panel, so to speak, you could just drop a, a talk bubble or a thought bubble right in there. It was yeah. super cool to see. And, and you're right. As far as a living comic book goes, this is spot on. Yeah, no, any any single shots of a character, if you go back and look, you, you can see that they left room. They left space for a speech bubble. And I don't know if there was any intent of taking this and, you know, making a, a, a photographic comic book out of it. They did later make a comic book of Batman mm-hmm. Forever. Um, I want to say it was even a, a short little series, but yeah, it's just, it was great. I, I'll give it props for that. Um, and I'll also give it props for, it did take a lot from the comic books. So we've already talked about Two-Face's origin being pretty much straight from the comic book, but that opening helicopter scene, that was straight out of, um, Batman 314 from 1979, uh, mm-hmm. where Two-Face robs the bank, pulls the... The Safe vault out of the yeah, pulls the vault straight out of the building, and Batman goes after him and all that. Uh, even at the end, when they crash into the Statue of Liberty, now the I don't think that was actually from that story, but the Statue of Freedom, as it's called in Batman comics, um, does exist, and so mm-hmm. you know I'm sure you know there was that nod to that, and of course there's always the is Gotham, New York. Is it, you know, a real city? DC does tend to make their characters exist in fictional worlds. Some people talk about it's in Chicago, but I, I would, I am of the base camp that it's New York. It's, it's DC's New York. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, so, the, you know, it gives us our Gotham, uh, the Gotham that I think we've all kind of come accustomed to from the Tim Burton and which evolved into the Batman the Animated, this very gothic Gotham, mm-hmm. uh, very bleak. Even Because even with all the bright colors and whatnot, there's still the aspect of it's a very bleak town. I mean, you, you could have been in uh, Seattle. There's cloud coverage. Oh, my goodness, the clouds. It is so cloudy. Every time the bat signal goes off, I'm just like, there's there's just a thick layer of clouds to where it looks I, like. I don't the, know if it's... I don't know if it's like smog covered yeah. in the air. If it's Gotham super polluted, it really it's looks like yeah, if you, it really looks like if you were standing on the top of a skyscraper, you could just reach up and touch a cloud in Gotham City. Well, there's the, there's even the scene where um, the bat plane flies through the bat signal. Yes. Oh, that's on a cloud. Yes. So yeah. they found the one cloud in the sky to project it onto. Yes, and he just comes straight through it. Uh, but yeah, so Gotham City, you know, nice again, keeping that connection to what we're familiar with from the comics and from the animated series and all. Uh, they also, they, I think they did a great job with the Graysons and telling that origin story. Um, I like that the costumes were uh, reminiscent of the classic Robin costume that, of course, 100%. Burt Ward made more famous from the 60s. Uh, the story was even uh, updated to what was probably the more current story from Batman Year Three, where Bruce is actually in attendance the night that the Graysons are murdered. The big, uh, the only thing is, you got um, Two Face ends up 
being the perpetrator of the Grayson's murder as opposed to um, uh, Zucka in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that uh, Two Face has attacked Gotham Circus in the comics, he mm-hmm. just wasn't the the reason for the Grayson. So it still had uh, that connection, and I, I did appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No problem at all with them changing that as far as uh, for the sake of the plot. And Arkham Asylum. So Arkham Asylum. This is the first time that Arkham Asylum has ever been seen in a live action adaptation. Arkham Asylum, I don't even think was ever mentioned in the 60s. I don't even know when it was first mentioned in the comics, but uh, it wasn't in the either one of the Tim Burton movies. This is the first time we ever see Arkham Asylum. Yeah. uh, Again, as an eight year old, I didn't really appreciate that. But having grown up and watched it again, it's awesome to see them even even though it's at the end there, just drop it at the end. And I, I don't know if just a little tidbit here, but for those of you that watch, Dr. Burton is at Arkham Asylum, which is obviously a nod to Tim Burton. Yeah, so there, there's a little another one of the cameos that I mentioned. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name. It's Renee. I'm going to butcher his last name uh, that, you know, you know from... Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I know him from the the show Benson to kind of show my age. Uh, he he plays a character that do they even call him Doctor Burton or do you only know it because you see his name tag? Yeah, uh, Meridian says like uh, as she's walking towards uh, you know Edward Nigma's cell. Uh, she says, "Thank you, Doctor Burton." Okay, All right. it happens just in the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah, but again, nice little nod to uh, to the guy who kind of started this franchise of Batman and all. And so, any last words, anything you want to say before we move on to our our and make our final decision? The one thing I'm super happy about is they do give a nod to Metropolis in the movie. I thought that was awesome. It it it's implying that Superman exists somewhere in this universe. Yeah, so. So, again, set that kind of, you know, well, will they, won't they? Uh, you know, Superman hadn't been seen since in the movies since 1990s, Superman 4. And so it's, will, could they bring Superman into this Batman franchise? Of course, they never did. We wouldn't see Superman again until uh, almost a decade later, a little over a decade later with Superman Returns. But no, yeah, loved it when he goes out and tells uh, Robin, yeah, the circus must be halfway to Metropolis by now. Awesome moment. All right, so let's make our final decision. Here on Moving Panels, we make our decision based off of the uh, movie in reference to a comic book. So we call it Bag It, Stack It, or Trade It. Bag It means that the movie is a keeper. You're going to enjoy it over and over again. You're going to cherish it. You're going to, just like a comic book, you're going to seal it up, put that uh backward board in it and you're going to add it to your collection stack it means that you enjoyed it you'll enjoy it from time to time but really you're just going to toss it into a pile you might come back to it uh you might not you might uh peruse it when you're just bored one one day and of course trade it's pretty self-explanatory you'd rather watch something else um so blake would you bag it stack it or trade it I'm going to have to stack Batman forever. It's one of those movies that if I'm bored on a Sunday, rainy afternoon, and it's on TNT, I'm going to watch it. I'll sit around it and check it out. But 
I'm not going to seek it out. I'm not going to purposely pop it in, you know, the Blu-ray player to watch. Uh, it's definitely a stackable. I'll come back to it from time to time, but it's not worth wasting a bag on, man. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm in the same boat. I say stack it. Um, I, I own it. I have it on DVD. I have no desire to upgrade it to Blu-ray. I have no desire to purchase it digitally so I can watch it on the go. Um, you know, it's part of my collection. I'm fine with it being part of my collection, but I'm really not going to watch it unless, uh, you know, I'm with some people and they're like, you know, I haven't seen that one in a while. Let's, let's see it again. Yeah. You know, it's almost one of those movies you, you watch ironically, I guess, or at least with an understanding of what it is. All right, Blake. Well, any last words as we wrap up this episode on Batman forever, man, uh, just want to say thanks. I've enjoyed it. I hope all the listeners enjoy hearing a couple of nerds just talk about stuff that they love. Speak and, for yourself. Uh, hope, uh, well, uh, okay. Well, I will speak for myself here, and I'll just upgrade myself to full-on geek then. Um, <laughs> so I just, uh, like I said, enjoyed it. Hoping to be able to do it again on the uh, same back channel. There you go. Uh, we'll definitely have you have you back again. It'll be fun maybe to talk about uh, a Superman movie and be on the other oh, side of it. That. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Blake, and thank you all for joining. For Moving Panels, I'm Laramie Wells, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. In 1989, Tim Burton brought Batman to the big screen and rejuvenated the superhero movie genre. In 1995... Joel Schumacher gave Batman nipples on today's movie. <laughs> okay. Stop looking at me. I'm about to say-